came to a website, salary.com. So if you want to know what you're worth, go to salary.com. It'll tell you. I learned some very interesting things about the value of our mothers. So what I'm going to share, just by way of an introduction, applies to stay-at-home moms. Those who work outside the home, you're not being singled out. It's just this is the way they put it together. They surveyed 19,000 stay-at-home moms. That's a pretty good number. It's a valuation based on what a mom would be worth in dollars for all the roles that she performs on a daily basis in the home. And those roles include, but are not limited to, Chief Financial Officer, Chief Operating Officer. Now, for Chief Financial Officer, we have one of these at our house. She's called the Budget Director, and I don't like her. Logistics Analyst, Housekeeper, Laundry Manager. We have a laundry lady at our house. I love the laundry lady. Van Driver, School Teacher, Facilities Manager, Meeting Slash Event Planner, Kitchen manager, I like the cook lady at our house too. Assistant athletics director, staff nurse, bookkeeper, physical therapy supervisor, nutrition director. You really shouldn't use that much salt, you know. Consumer loan officer, fast food cook, I'd include gourmet chef in there. Server, conflict resolution manager, Interior designer, let's see, you live with one of those, right? Fundraising coordinator, that is kind of like the budget director and I don't like her. I could think of a few more, but we're going to go with that list, okay? So if you add it all up, according to salary.com, the annual salary for stay-at-home moms this past year should be, are you sitting, ladies? $184,820 annually. I didn't hear any cheering. That's why I remind Patty how truly blessed I am, because she works for free. <laughs> the, like I said, there's one in every class, and now I got two. The truth is, I could never pay her what she's worth, could I? What I found that was even a little bit more amazing in the results of that survey was this. Stay-at-home moms work an astonishing 106 hours per week on average, which means they are working 15 hours a day and seven days a week. Of course, moms who also work outside the home then add that to their hours or to their salary, and sometimes they put in more than that in actual hours per week. Interesting, right? I thought it was kind of fun. What does the Bible have to say about a mom's worth, about a mom's value? And so I thought this morning, since I've had this discussion with a couple of people in the last few days, I really dislike Mother's Day and Father's Day because preaching is just, it's the pits on Mother's and Father's Day. You kind of have to do it. You, can't want, you don't want to say the same thing every year after year. And it's just, so we're going to do something a little different today. 
We're going to approach Mother's Day, this Mother's Day message, from a, a slightly different direction. We want to see what we can discern from the Bible about a few, not that long list from salary.com, but a few of the many roles a biblical mom is asked to fulfill. In other words, what godly attributes does a, a godly biblical mom demonstrate? Can the Bible give us a better idea of the true value of a mom, one that isn't rated in 21st century dollars? I also thought we could survey the usage of the word mother in the Bible, and so I did a little research on that too. Mother occurs 245 times in 226 verses. We could look at all those this morning. No, huh? You could add the seven plural uses. That makes it 252. We could look at all those verses. So I thought we better not do that. The first occurrence, however, turn to Genesis, if you would. Genesis chapter 2, please. The first occurrence of the word mother is in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Just look there with me quickly. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Well, I don't see it there, Pastor. Keep reading. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. The whole idea in the creation of Eve is one that was fit for the man who would become mother. First thing we note is that the woman then, from which all other moms are descended, is intimately connected to Adam, to Adam, the man. She was taken from the first man by God himself and given to Adam, and she inspired poetry instantly. That's the first poetry in the Bible right there. Ladies, you probably don't think of yourself as inspiring poetry every day, do you? You didn't win Adam's case. Now, we can't take that first mention, that first usage of mother, without also taking the second one and putting it with it. Turn to chapter 3. Now, I know, chapter 3 is the sin chapter. Adam and Eve sin. They bring sin into the human race. But look at verse 20. Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. You don't see it in your English, but it's there in Hebrew. There's a play on words there. Eve comes from the Hebrew word, which means, anyone want to guess? Life. Eve means life. The Greek translation of the Old Testament, we call it the Septuagint. It's the Greek word zoe. Our granddaughter, Zoe. What does Zoe mean in, in Greek, J.D.? Life. Life. Adam called his wife life because she is the mother of all living. In Hebrew, that gets your attention. That means something. Adam calls his wife life. From her come all living human beings. 
So the second thing I see is that moms are essential. They are utterly essential. Without our mothers, not a single one of us would be here. There would be no one to listen to me speak this morning. Oh, wait a minute. I wouldn't be here either. <laughs> Without moms, not a single one. If Eve had followed the modern culture of our day today and believed in abortion, we wouldn't be here. Can you place a value on that? Wow. So moms are intimately connected with dads, and moms are absolutely essential for life. Turn to chapter 17 in the book of Genesis. The third occurrence of the word mother is found only these few chapters later. Genesis 17, look at verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name be. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Now, Sarai means princess, but Sarah means noble woman. God is plainly telling Abraham, your wife Sarah will be blessed. And not only will she have a son, but through her, through that son, she will be a mother of nations and a mother of kings. I see that moms are influential. They have clout. And we can't take the time that it would require to examine all the kings of Israel and their corresponding mothers, or Judah for that matter. But if we did, we'd see that that influence of mothers goes all through the pages of Scripture. It is safe to conclude, I'd say it's very safe to conclude, that most of the good kings had a powerful influence from a godly mother, Likewise, most of the evil kings had a powerful influence from someone like Jezebel. David, on the good side, must have had a very good mother. Yes, I know, David is a very flawed character, but so am I. And so are all of us. David was the runt of the litter, to put it kind of that kind of way. His brothers despised him. He was probably viewed, they probably viewed him as a spoiled brat little brother. He was the youngest. But God said, when he sent Samuel to go find David, I have found a man after my own heart. How did that happen? How is it that the young man David could already be seen as a man after God's own heart? Must have been his mom. She must have had a tremendous influence on young David's life. Now, the Bible does not tell us who David's mother is. That could be a good trivia question, wouldn't it? There are some Jewish legends that even give give her a name. But the Bible is silent on, on the matter of David's mom. David, though, himself says one thing about his mother in Psalm 86. You don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 86, verse 16, David writes this, O turn unto me and have mercy upon me, 
Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid. You see, in that psalm, David calls his mother the Lord's handmaid, the Lord's servant, which tells us that David's mother must have served the Lord with her life. And she did so in raising David to be king over Israel. That is influence. Moms, intimately connected with dads, moms are absolutely essential for life itself. And moms have influence. What else do they have? Love. Moms have love. Mothers love like few others love. There are countless poems written about mother's love. Probably a million Hallmark cards about mother's love. But a mother's love is more than just the words, I love you, to the kid or the husband. A mother's love is always accompanied by actions. Actions which back up the statement of love. A mother's love is not merely spoken word, it's doing. Exodus chapter 2. You're still in Genesis? One more book. Exodus chapter 2. You'll recognize this immediately. Exodus chapter 2, begin in verse 1. There went a man of the house of Levi, and he took to wife a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to see what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby cried. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister, to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. You know, if you don't think God orchestrates things, your head is in the sand. This is is God's hand right through all of this. We know from later passages, this mother's name is Jochebed, Moses' mother. Jochebed loved her son so deeply that in spite of Pharaoh's orders to destroy all the male children, she hatched this plan to save his life. She worked the plan. She, then her faith was rewarded in that she was able to raise her firstborn son for a number of years. Have you considered that she knew all along, all along she knew 
that her time with Moses was going to be highly limited? How would any of you moms, or for that matter, dads, feel if you had a child and you knew in advance you could only keep this child to about the age of four or five, and then you had to give it over? To the government, no less. How would you feel? Jochebed knew that her time nursing this infant was only going to go between three and four years and then maybe a little bit longer she could stay and then she would be dismissed and this son of hers would become the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. Now I know that I mentioned we're talking about a mother's love, but I see something else here that goes along with that love and that is a tremendous faith, faith in God. Godly mothers don't just exhibit, demonstrate godly love, they exhibit faith, tremendous faith. Samuel's mother, a woman named Hannah, is another example of great love with tremendous faith. Turn to 1 Samuel with me. You're all familiar of the account of Elkanah and Hannah in 1 Samuel, but just look, verses 9 through 11 in the first chapter of 1 Samuel. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she, meaning Hannah in verse 10, was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sorely. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid. Same word David used, by the way, servant of the Lord. But will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. There shall no razor come upon his head. This woman yearns so deeply for a child, a son, she yearns so deeply to be a mom that the Bible describes her heart with that expression, bitterness of soul. Now, I know in years past, I have tried to, and I can't do it, I have tried to portray what barrenness meant to these ancient Israeli women. It was devastating. And we know also, because we know this account, that she suffered year after year after year under the emotional and verbal abuse of the other woman in the house. Not to mention the insensitivity of the husband. Oh, are not I better to you than ten sons? I teased Debbie with that a little while ago. Hannah had great faith. She prayed consistently for a man-child, a son. All Hebrew women did because pregnant Hebrew women were hoping they were bearing the Messiah. And God answered her prayer with Samuel. And then this mother showered her love on him. Again, similarly to Jochebed and Moses, knowing she would turn him over to the Lord. That's mom's love. Her great faith was also a factor because she, like Jochebed, wasn't going to mother for too many years. Look at verse 22. 
1 Samuel 1. Hannah went not up. She said to her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. Then will I bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. Look at chapter 2. Begin in verse 18. Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year, just like she suffered from year to year. When she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice, Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord, and they went to their own home. One more biblical example of a mom's great love and faith. This one, Mary, the mother of Jesus. I seriously doubt that any of us are fully capable of grasping what this young lady thought when the angel delivered his message. Now, it is true, I mentioned it just a few seconds ago, that every young pregnant Jewish wife was hoping to be the mother of the Messiah but they did not suspect the supernatural aspect of conception. They did not understand the Messiah would be God in the flesh. That means they failed to grasp his sinless nature. Yes, Isaiah does make several bold predictions, prophecies, if you will, which the Jewish leaders knew of. But how many of the common people really understood those prophecies? Because the learned men missed the point, too. Knowing and truly understanding are not the same thing. Knowledge without perspective, without context, without understanding is just data. In Isaiah chapter 7, you might want to turn there. We're going to look at a couple passages in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, very well-known passage. We use it every year in the Christmas season. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear the son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That is God with us. I mean, that's as clear as it could possibly be. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Then in chapter 9, just turn a couple pages. Chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. Well, what did Mary think about those passages? We do know from scriptures that Mary, the future mother of Jesus, said in Luke chapter 1, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She missed it. The learned men missed it. Even Isaiah, even though Isaiah wrote that the virgin would conceive, Mary didn't get it. And then further in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And then he offers proof. Your cousin Elizabeth, who had been unable to conceive, right? 
She has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God shall nothing shall be impossible. Mary, this is how. This is how, Mary, trust God. And what does Mary say? <laughs> Gotta love it. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. There's that word again. Be it unto me according to thy word. I accept what you have given me, what you have told me. I will go through whatever it takes to serve the Lord this way. Mary was the willing servant of the Lord, the mother of Jesus Christ. So Mary displayed another attribute, loyalty. Look to John chapter 19 in the New Testament for me. John chapter 19. We saw from Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, chapter 1, that Mary was willing to be the handmaiden of the Lord and be used to bring the Messiah. She didn't understand how. She missed all that from the Old Testament. But here we are at the cross, John 19, beginning in verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, his aunt, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, that we believe that's John, of course, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Jesus' mother knew better than anyone else on the entire planet before or after the genuinely unique circumstances of Jesus' conception and birth. She was there. She also realized the uniqueness of Jesus, her firstborn son. In all the years that she had with him, around 30, he never once had to be disciplined. He never once had to be corrected. He never once had to be admonished. He never once said the wrong thing. He never once sounded like a smart aleck, like me. He never once made a mistake or messed up. She knew he was not, humanly speaking, worthy of that death. She was loyal to her son. Even as he was tried, illegally, improperly, hung on the cross, died, and was buried, she knew he was innocent. Knowing all along that Jesus was and is the Son of God. What a mother. What faith, what love. What loyalty. What a mother. Have you noticed the commonality between the three women that I've used, Jochebed, Hannah, and Mary? They all willingly gave their sons to the Lord. Every one of them. Moses, Samuel, and Jesus himself. Our time is gone. We've only scratched the surface. Just barely scratched the surface of the biblical examples of moms. As for the attributes of biblical moms, 
That was only a small sampling. Intimately connected with dads, they're absolutely essential for life. They wield an amazing influence. They give great love, and they live in great faith. And you know what I've observed over a number of my limited number of years? It doesn't much matter how a woman becomes a mom, whether it's giving birth, adopting, acclimation. Cindy is a mom to nearly every young kid who's come through this church. That's acclimation, Cindy. Or by fostering. Patty's sister fostered kids for years, and she had a mother's love for every one of them. It doesn't really matter how a woman becomes a mom. A mom loves without measure and considers her children as gifts from God. Just as Jochebed and Hannah and Mary, a truly biblical mom is willing to give her kids back to the Lord if he wants them. Moms are far more valuable than we can ever imagine. Their value is above rubies, and it is certainly above $184,820 a year. They're worthy of our greatest respect and every honor we can give them. They're worthy of our greatest love back to them in return for how they love us. And they are worthy every single day not just one Sunday in the month of May. So go home this afternoon or go to your mother's home, wherever it is. Honor your mother. Love your mother, if you can, if she's here. And return to her some of that love she's bestowed on each one of us. Father, Thank you for creating moms.